This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. But what happened was we did the final integration and there was a, they had a President's Club meeting scheduled getting to meet everybody. First thing I run into is four uh, women that are the wives of some of my originators. And I was like, hey, how's everyone doing? You know, it's nice to see everyone, you know. And they, they said, yeah, no, it's terrible. Like, no one's happy. No one likes it. You know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? Really? Grab the top originators. I brought them over and I was like, hey, I just heard this. What's going on? And we said, hey, we we're told not to tell you. And I was like, really? Why? And they're like, oh, I guess, you know, people are worried about their jobs and, you know, you just took it over and they don't know you and everything. So I'm like, I want to get everybody into a room tomorrow morning. We can't fix anything unless we know what's broken. So four and a half hours, it was just rapid fire of everything that's wrong. And I was like, I want to hear everything. I don't, you know, whatever it is, underwriting, closing, marketing, technology, you know, within really 60 days, we fixed about 60% of everything that they had issues on. Within the next probably 60, we got through the other 20%. And then there was about 20% that we wouldn't do for a reason, but we were really transparent of what that reason is and kind of went through and talked to them. I would say pretty much everybody from that day is still here because we forged this bond together, you know, of saying we built trust, we got on the same page, you know, they knew we had their backs. I'm Clayton Collins, CEO at Housing Wire and your host for the Powerhouse Podcast. Today's guest is Victor Chardelli, president and CEO of Guaranteed Rate. And this episode is exactly what we started and designed Powerhouse for. We talk about Victor's entrepreneurial journey from selling loans in a call center to building Guaranteed Rate, building partnerships with real estate agents and brokerages, and the path that ultimately led to acquiring PHH Mortgage and really building Guaranteed Rate Affinity years down the road. The conversation also explores leadership, technology, compliance, loan officer compensation, and so many topics that are important to all leaders across the mortgage and housing industry. I hope you enjoy this amazing episode with Victor Chardelli, president and CEO of Guaranteed Rate. Victor, thank you for joining me. I feel like this is this conversation has been a long time coming, and I'm thrilled to get a chance to to get you on uh, the mic and the camera today to, to have a fun conversation. Yeah, it's good to. Uh, I'm happy to do it, and it's good to see you. Uh, I know we talked a bunch of times, but it's good to see you face to face. Absolutely. I mean, I wish we were actually recording in the same room. We'll have to do that uh, another time. But today, Definitely. virtually, yeah. you in Florida, me in Texas, we're going to have a good conversation. So like we built this powerhouse podcast to interview some of the most leading and powerful and entrepreneurial executives in the housing world. And your track record of building guaranteed rates has been you know, absolutely admirable. And I'm excited to dig in and hear more about the journey. Um, talk about the journey to where you are today and then, you know, talk business strategy and the mortgage industry some, but I'd love to, to start out with hearing more about your story of building guaranteed rate and entering the mortgage industry. It's always fascinating to hear the founding roots that feel so, you know, are often so far away from like these large enterprises that like the one you run today. 
to go way back, the story is kind of crazy. Uh, let's see. I was selling commercial real estate, just got out of school. And it was 1990, 1990, 1991. And I was in Chicago in the West Loop and the South Loop in Chicago. Uh, I think at that time there were more uh, uh, foreclosures than there were sales. Uh, vacancy rate on commercial properties like office buildings were like 20%. So it was really, really tough. Um, but I started uh, with a really good group of guys out of college and everybody was hustling. And because the market was so tough, guys were like, just dropping like flies, you know, you know, it'd be like one guy would be like, ah, I'm going to go get a job selling insurance. I'm going to go get a job doing this. I'm going to get a job doing that. And I had this, um, I had this developer that I was uh, working with who had all these loft warehouses in the South Loop and he was trying to sell them. And I found a buyer who was really a great uh, developer and I kept putting these guys together um, and finally got a deal done where we went under contract. And at the time I was like 24 years old, it was going to be a big, big commission to me. Uh, uh, like life altering commission. I think it was going to be over a hundred thousand dollar commission. And uh, I was all excited. I was sad. I was already thinking about, you know, taking the money and putting it in a building that I wanted to buy, and, you know, and uh, then they were telling me they can't secure financing. <clears throat> and I was like, okay, explain this. So they had a prospectus. So I started making phone calls to banks. I was trying to f- help them find financing and it, while that was going on, it was looking pretty bleak that it, the deal was going to go. And a guy who I used to work with uh, called me up and asked me, you know, what I'm doing. And I told him, you know, uh, he said, did you get that deal done? I said, nah, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And he said, well, uh, I'm working for this mortgage company and we're doing debt consolidations um, and we're refinancing people's loans. And at the times they were working off of uh, interest rates that were like crazy, like 18%, 16%, Ford Motor Credit, Household Finance, Associates, Associate Finance, things like that. So I was like, you know, well, how is he? So, well, we're closing loans in like 30 days and making like a thousand bucks, you know, a week. And uh, I was like, all right, I'll, you know, I'll check it out. So they had a telemarketing operation and he worked it out with the owner for me to go out and I worked uh, two nights as a telemarketer and they had uh, about six telemarketers that were there. And I was already used to being on the phone. I didn't have any call reluctance. Uh, And so I was just like talking to customers, having fun with it, you know, and then I would take a lead and pass it off, take a lead, pass it off. And it was really, I actually really enjoyed it. And uh, the owner came up to me at the end of the night. He said, do you know that you passed off more leads than all six guys? And I said, no, I didn't know that. He goes, I'd love to teach you to be a loan officer. I was like, ah, well, I'm still selling commercial real estate. I'm really not sure, but I'd like, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to at least try this. So I came back the second night, did the same thing. I produced all the six guys again. And then I told my buddy, I said, hey, let's go have a beer. So we went and had a beer and I said, listen, I think this is it. I said, let's start our own mortgage company, you know, and he cracked up. He's like, you know, you're out of your mind. It was like, 
you work two nights as a telemarketer. I've been here for like, I don't know, four months or something. He's like, it's, it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, why not? You know? So, uh, he agreed. And then there's a whole story around, cause I had no money. There's a whole story around how I actually started the mortgage company. I don't know if you want to hear that. Uh, well, I want to, first I want to know what gave you like the gusto instead of like accepting the job, say, let's just do this on our own. Like what was like, what went on in your head between saying like, okay, yeah, I'll come originate for you and make some yeah. money. I'll probably like kick ass and like beat all your other guys and make a ton of money. But like what gave you the gusto to say, let's just do this on our own. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting. So, um, I tell this story once in a while. So, uh, years ago, my dad bought our house from a guy named Wayne Heisinga, uh, in Oprah, Illinois. And if anybody knows Wayne Heisinga, uh, Wayne started waste management with one dump truck and built it to be the largest waste company in the world. And uh, so I s didn't know anything about Wayne, but I yeah, he left the Chicago him. area and went down to Florida too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um, and then weird as it may be, a uh, guy who went to grammar school with, his dad was partners with Wayne um, and ran the U.S. operation for waste management. And then a guy who I met when I was 19 years old became one of my closest friends. Strangely, his dad became partners with Wayne when uh, for it, he ran international waste management. So I, all three of the guys kind of retired at the same time. And so I just saw these guys on this, you know, on this rise. And I had just a lot of confidence. I had uh you know, I was just very entrepreneurial. I would start my own. I, I started a touring company. You know, I did different things, you know, to kind of, you know, run my own business. So I was really confident and I loved what Wayne did. And I always thought, well, if Wayne could do it, I could do it. Right. So I, I had this, you know, drive to build something, uh, prove myself and uh scale a business in a very large way. It's what I wanted to do. Right. So, so that was, it was already kind of like, it was, it was like a deep desire, burning desire to get into some industry. And, you know, it just happened to be the mortgage business. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like I set out to like, I didn't even know anything about mortgages. <laughs> I wasn't, you know, getting out of college, you know, I had no idea about the mortgage business. It's just one of those random things. If this guy, if that deal, real estate deal would have closed, there's no way I'd be in the mortgage business. If that guy who worked for me didn't introduce me to the mortgage business, there's no way I would have been in the mortgage business, right? So it just, it just was a, just kind of a random thing that occurred. So did that business that you started after, you know, two nights of telemarketing and uh, a couple beers, is that the business that is now guaranteed rate? No. So the first company was called Guaranteed Financial Mortgage. And uh, we started in February of 92 and it was just the two of us. Um, he is a really good guy, but at the time he was doing liquid lunches. His work <laughs> ethic wasn't that great, you know, and we're calling off of like, I mean, we had these old trunk line phones. It was just like the phones were so bad. And uh, the office was, you know, old brown shag carpeting. Um, it was like, like this old nasty paneling. I mean, it looked like you're in like, uh, the 1960s in somebody's basement. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, but I just was like, you know, I, I was like determined I was hustling. 
So I would just call off these call sheets um, and uh, from the time anybody would be willing to pick up a phone in the morning, like at, you know, pretty much like 9 a.m. And I would go till literally like almost nine o'clock at night. I was just an animal. Like I was just cranking out calls. And my partner at the time, he just didn't have the same work ethic. So we were all good, but we parted ways, I think, after like four or five months. It wasn't a big thing, you know, right? I mean, there was nothing, 100%. I mean, it was like nothing. Like we had nothing. So it was like him going to do his thing. I did my thing. And I kind of partnered with another guy who owned a mortgage company who was helping me out. And I remember calling him and I said, hey, I'm don't, you know, I need some help here. So he showed up, I'll never forget, he showed up about one o'clock in the afternoon and I had these lead sheets that were stacked like this. And he said, what in the world? And I said, I've never seen anything like this. So we sat there from one o'clock. He left my office. We got pizza. We had a couple beers and he left around two o'clock at night. And he went through each one and said, "What like, this is garbage because I would print out a credit report with the lead sheet. And he said, this one's garbage. This one's doable. This is how, this is why. And, you know, kind of went through it all. And uh, and then I go, okay, great. <laughs> and I'd be back, you know, next day calling, hey, this is what, you know, so working through it. And uh, what I realized is that part of the business wasn't really for me. So I wanted to... Uh, learn the conforming side. So I didn't know what to do. So I bought the Fannie Mae standards books where uh, it's a book about that thick. And it's basically cliff notes on uh, the Fannie Mae Freddie Mac guidelines. So I actually bought the books and I would read them multiple times and highlight them and memorize them. And that's why I learned myself how to do conforming loans. And then I realized I still needed more context because I was being more of a salesperson when I was working with a lot of these deals. So Freddie Mac at the time in Chicago, they had a big office on Wacker and I signed up for this uh, underwriting program that they had. And it was, I think it was two nights a week, maybe three. I think it was two nights a week for like three hours each night. And um, they went through, you know, collateral, you know, they went through the whole thing. And by the time I was done, I was like, oh, my God, the business just became super easy to me because I was being a sales guy and trying to jam, you know, this file as a square peg in a round hole. And it was like and I'm all of a sudden became clear. I'm like, God, I'm making my customers' lives really difficult and I'm making my own life really difficult. And then that way everything changed for me. At that point is when I was able to communicate with customers and say, we could do things the easy way or we could do it the hard way. And I was like, you want to know the difference between both and other customers? Because I worked with a lot of self-employed borrowers and they said, yeah, 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 tell me the detail. So I'm like, the easy way is I ask you what we need and you just give it to me and we get the loan close right away. The hard thing is you push it back, telling me all the things that you don't want to get this, you don't want to get that. But in the end, I'm still going to go get them all from you. I could take what you're going to give me, submit it to underwriting, and underwriting is going to tell me I need all these documents anyways. And I'm having to go back to you and say, 
I'm going to get these back. And then, they, you know, they would laugh and they're like, okay, okay, okay. So, you know, the business. You knew how to speak the language of your bar. I mean, that's like such like a clear, like communication trick that like so many originators today should, should even leverage. You want to do this the easy way or the hard way? Cause that, that situation still exists very much so. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I find the difference between mega producers and people who are not is really a lot of it is uh, the knowledge of the business, understanding their guidelines, and then having confidence in what they're doing to communicate that to the borrower, right? Because ultimately, when the borrower is um, buying their home, they really want to go with somebody they trust that Mm -hmm. is going to be, they're going to put them in the best hands to be able to get the loan closed uh, properly, right? I mean, like when originators or any sales professionals, like in kind of a a weak, weaker, like psychological or like knowledge place, um, you, that you want to like the customer's always right, blah, blah, blah. But like, if you let the customer walk all over you, they're going to, if you don't move with confidence and move with, um, authority based on the experience you have as an advisor to clients. So I feel like it's like a confidence level that helps the best salespeople, the best originators give advice without like getting, you know, walked all over and doing it the hard way. Yeah. And it's exactly right. It's like, and the thing is, it's not really in the mortgage business because it is people, I don't think realize how complex the mortgage business is. You have every single customer has a different credit profile um, than everybody else, right? Their credit score is different. Their income's different. Their job's different. Their job history is different. Um, their loan amount's different. Uh, their property value is different. The type of property is different. You know, everybody has this unique profile and you're taking somebody with every unique profile and you're putting them into the proper program that suits them. It's really a skill, right? And uh, so, from an originator standpoint, the originators who are able to articulate that well to a borrower and let them know about all the different options that they have and educate them and then tell them how they're going to get their loan approved quickly and efficiently. That's, I mean, to me, like if I was a borrower, that's the person I would rather go with than the one that's going, can I get back to you? I got to follow up on this. Let me check. Uh, let me research all the different programs. I mean, and then you're on the phone going, wait, is this really the person I should be working with? You know, is this the person I have the most confidence in? You know, so that's that, you know, so I think that's a key, key component. I know like one of your top guys, Sean, I mean, he moves with like a level of like kindness, urgency, and authority that like, you just trust what he says. And like, you're going to do what he asks because like, you know, he's got the reps in. I feel like there's a, there's a communication flow that like helps people elevate to that place. Yeah. You know, Sean and Ben Cohen, they're, you know, they're monsters, right? Uh, And Ben and I worked on the same floor uh, in Chicago for years and years and years. And so I would walk by and hear Ben and the one thing, and I know Shant is exactly the same way, is um, they're very nice, but they're very clear with the consumer, with the customer on what they can do to get their loan closed quickly and efficiently. And they talk with this level of confidence and authority where if 
I'm on the other side of that. I, I walk by and I'm like, ah, oh, he's so good on the phone. You know, like, I'm like, it just makes, you just feel like the confidence. Like if I am that, uh, if I'm that customer and I'm looking at buying a house, I am, feel like I'm in good hands with those guys, you know? You don't feel like you've probably all been in sales situations where you feel like as the the consumer or the borrower, you need to like take the reins. But when you have someone that like knows how to speak in the right cadence, has the experience, delivers authority and respect, you're like, okay, like I don't need to feel like I need to take the reins on this. You you listen, you take the advice. Um, so Victor, we, like I know we're talking about like a 35 year, 30 year story here. But so back in the like the early days, were you, were you brokering out the gate? Like how, how did the business evolve to like become the entity that you scaled to the GR that we all know today? Yeah, good questions. Yeah, no, it's like it's crazy because, you know, I didn't I didn't know anything, <laughs> you know, so every step. I'm having to figure it out and evolve what that next step is and how to get to the next step. Right. So, uh, so yeah, bro- broker for sure. And then not only brokering, I was actually brokering at first only, uh, subprime deals. Okay. So that's how I started off. And, and that I mean, would when that was, Freddie course helped you kind of step into the conventional space and, and move a little faster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I ended up building a relationship with um, a person that owned the Caldwell Banker franchise in Chicago. And um, I start off and he said, I'll tell you what, go ahead and go to this one office on Ashland Diversity. And uh, you can meet with the manager there. And if they like you, you could do an office presentation. I said, great. You know, and again, I was really young and I'm figuring it out. So I went in there in front of their, uh, they got their agents together. I did an office, office presentation. And then um, there's one of the guys in there was a bigger producer. And he talked to me and then I ended up working uh, with him and, and, you know, ball games, lunch, dinners. Oh, I was doing open house, whatever I could do built the relationship. Now I'm starting to get business from this office, but I'm now starting to my own company. So I was like, I had another loan officer. I put him in there and said, here, started working with that office. Then the manager was like, Hey, this guy's a great guy. You should definitely, you know, have him come to your office. Great. Came to that office. So long story short, I build a relationship with all 10 managers of all the franchise offices and now I'm involved with the whole, whole group, um, hiring loan officers, putting them inside the uh, offices. They had finally agreed to do an MSA with me, do an MSA agreement with them. And now off to the races. And a huge percentage of my business is um, this Cole Banker uh, franchise that had 10 offices, about 400, 400, 450 real estate agents. And, um, and, and I was like, so, and the other thing is as a broker, it's brutal because your, your whole livelihood revolves on the success of the broker closing the loan. Right. And so what happened was I had to become really close friends with everybody because I had to deal with the, with the bumps in the road. Right. Because there's always a bump in the road. And I had to make sure that I became really close to everybody. So when that bump in the road hit, I was able to, you know, 
get through it without them tossing me uh, aside or not referring me another deal. Giving you the benefit of the doubt, the bumps in the road aren't always your fault. And that like there's a, the bumps are going to come They're market induced, property induced, borrower induced. But like the fact that you can build trust, like gives the agent confidence to at least talk it through and not be like, ah, screw Victor. He didn't get it done. Exactly. And I always blame myself. Always. That was the one thing I would highly recommend is never blame anyone. Blame yourself. I said, I screwed this, you know, the, this happened with closing, but I could have done, you know, this, but I, I'm going to do this now. This is how I'm going to fix it. I got this. So they'd be like, okay, because I then became in control when I, if I gave up control and said, my clothes are totally screwed up. My underwriter screwed up. I use this wholesaler and they stink, you know, they're terrible. You know, then they'd be like, Oh God, he's so out of control. He doesn't have control over the situation. I don't want to use him, right? But if I blame myself that I own it and I'm in control and I could change the outcome next time, they're like, okay, that's fine. You know, just fix it next time and make sure that doesn't happen again. You got it. So at that time, I really had to hustle to control the business. So I had to get the warehouse lines, get the correspondence. So I needed to control the entire ecosystem because I couldn't have it where I wasn't in control because not being in control is like, you're literally, I always called it, you're building a foundation on mud. You know, it's like, you just don't have any solid footing anywhere. It's just constantly feels like everything is moving out from under you because of the lack of control. And that was the problem with my first company. Um, Also the premise of it was, you know, not great, you know, so guaranteed financial mortgage was kind of like any other mortgage company didn't have a really anything that we stood for. It was just every loan officer, you know, throws her shingle on top of, you know, my shingle. And that was about it. You know, I mean, it wasn't much to it. Um, and then, so what happened was the guy who owned the franchise came to me one day and said, you know, he, went to lunch and he said, Hey, I'm telling you something in confidence. Nobody knows. Um, but I know you have a lot of eggs in my basket and, you know, uh, but I sold to couple banker and they have their own mortgage company at the time. It was called Sendin. So he sold his franchise up to be cor- corporate owned. Yeah. And then, and, okay. And that kills the MSA. Yeah. And then uh, he became, he was kind of still around because he came like, yeah, I guess like a regional president for them or however they had it at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, so then I'm like, oh, because this business I already thought was tough back then. And I did that for eight years and I'm trying to scale. I mean, I am working my butt off to try and scale the business. And it was literally um, brutal. It was brutal. I felt like, I, you know, I used the analogy. I was just running into a brick wall every day and not getting anywhere or building a foundation on mud and not getting anywhere. It's really kind of both of those. Right. Um, so yeah, that was really, really challenging. That that's wild. Um, so at housing wire, we're obsessed with data and analytics without good insight. There's no shot at operational excellence or innovation. Mortgage lenders that want to thrive in today's market must have access to due diligence and valuation intel, risk management tools, and predictive analytics. And they have to cover everything from the asset to the enterprise. This is exactly what Consolidated Analytics does. 
If you want to make more informed decisions and optimize performance, you have to check out Consolidated Analytics. Visit consolidatedanalytics.com to start your journey toward more informed decision making. If I'm not mistaken, like, have you developed a new partnership with Caldwell since then? Like, the, the MS, that was the beginning of an MSA, like, strategy, right? Um, so I don't know how many people on here believe in law of attraction and kind of manifestation, but, uh, I really do. Right. And so convince us, make us all believers. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, a couple things is one is at the time that was going on, I started to say, all right, let me look at, um, other industries. Cause I wanted to get involved in something that I could scale. Right. I wanted to build something significant. I, you know, again, I go back to, you know, <clears throat> what Wayne did. And I remember I was at the, I, I think I was 21 years old, 22 years old in my buddy's house. There was this perspective on his bed and I was like, Hey, what's this? And he said, uh, this is, and it said blockbuster uh, video on it. He said, Oh, my dad gave this to me. Um, he said, this is something you should read that, um, you know, this is, this is stuff that you're going to read someday in your life. And, you know, you might as well look at this. This is a business that, uh, we're getting involved in. And so I said, well, can I read it? He's like, yeah. So I took it and he let, me, let me read it. So I'm reading it and I'm like super interested. I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And at the time, um, uh, he, uh, ended up partnering and him and, uh, Wayne are friends, uh, John Melk, uh, and Wayne Anzinga and they were friends <clears throat> and John presented blockbuster video idea, uh, to Wayne. And then all of a sudden blockbuster video went, you know, they got involved and he bit all the, bought all these video stores and boom, they, you know, they're just taking off, you know, and it's, and then they, they're, they're in the, they're in their, yeah. like their launch stage. And I'm seeing all this go on while I'm, you know, sucking wind, you know, running guaranteed financial mortgage. And I'm like, God, if these guys can, you know, did waste management. Now they're doing blockbuster video. And then they did, you know, some other ones called Boston Chicken, things like that. But I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is so, I could definitely do this. I could, you know. So I started to look outside of the mortgage business and I looked at all different opportunities. And what happened was I just got back to it and I said, you know, I've been at the mortgage business for eight years. I know mortgage, more about the mortgage business than I do anything else. Anything else I get into, I'm going to still have to cut my teeth and learn it and, and scale something, right? But I know more about the mortgage business than anything. And the one thing I really need to focus on is really coming back to the customer, like the customer experience, like getting back to the value proposition, like putting it down where I have, and I, at the time I looked at the mortgage business as three customers, um, the customer that we're getting the loan for, uh, the loan officer uh, that, you know, we're, we're helping build and grow their business as well as recruit to be a part of guaranteed rate and why they should come over and work for a guaranteed rate. And then third is the referral partner, right? I mean, um, you know, so the referral partner is, is a key component, you know, to the success of uh, any mortgage company. So I wrote down every value proposition. I said, I want, I want to, I want to create the greatest value proposition for all three of those customers than any other bank or mortgage company in the country. That's my goal, right? 
So that's what I did. And this is now, if you go back, this is in 1999. And in 1999, it was like the wild, wild west. And what I mean by that is loan officers were playing games with customers based on rates and fees. And it was literally, I used to call it the shell game is they would confuse customers all the time. And they're liars. I mean, they, they, they just were born liars is, is they got up every day and they lied to customers and they cheated them and customers were being taken advantage of. And the mortgage business was looked at as like a used car. I remember there were surveys out of like the worst rated uh, industry and loan officers and used car salesmen were basically on parallel, right? As far as sleazy, right? And I I grew up around the industry. My dad's an originator. I was there. Like, I remember like those time periods. I remember like, like in a very like honest, straightforward originator. I remember like the bad cloud over mortgage in that, in that time period. And like, you know, for, you know, the people who were doing it right and had, had values and ethics, like it it wasn't a, wasn't a good look or a good feeling kind of the way the industry was going. Yeah, no, honestly, it was, it was disgusting. it, It would, it was gross, right? Because, you know, yeah, I mean, it was just a different time. It was really bad, you know, right? Because, People are bragging, they come back from a closing and I just made, you know, all this money on this one borrower and it's like, what am I doing? Like, and it was like, at the time I was like, what, what am I a part of? Like, what is this industry? Like, this is like, this is, this is, this is not good, you know? It's it's making Wayne Heisinga's um, waste management uh, industry look um, look squeaky clean, <laughs> right? I mean, and, but, but here's the thing is, and this is where I looked at the opportunity. I was like, because of this is so n- gross and <clears throat> and nasty, and the way that people are treating customers and playing the games, I'm going to come out and I'm going to be the anti all that. And we came out with. Uh, a one fixed fee. Uh, and then we came out with a, a low margin rate. The trouble that I had is finding loan officers that were willing to do it. <laughs> like, you know, loan officers were like, what are you talking about? You're, you're talking about like, you're going to put me in a box that I can't like change my, change my, like make more money on this bar, make more money on that bar. I'm like, yeah, exactly. And the premise of the company was the little old lady shopping for a loan shouldn't get um, a worse rate than the, you know, I would call it attorney or Wall Street guy who's out there beating everybody else up on rate and fee and knows how to play the game. I was like, why should financial borrower financial sophistication shouldn't drive pricing outcomes? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was, that was, it was like, and that's the thing. It was like, it was, it was fundamental. Like, just not fair, right? That the people who knew how to play the game and negotiate and push a loan officer into and like do all this work to get the best rate should get the best rate and the people who are less educated get the worst rate. I was like, this is not right. And so the funny thing was the whole premise was the organization was built on that. And then it was built on the efficiency of the originator getting them away from doing what they don't want to do 
which is process loans and having them do what they want to do as being the rainmaker, right? So I knew that the, like from a loan officer standpoint, you put them in a competitive situation to be able to win more deals, take the pressure away from processing. And then from a real estate agent perspective, like, you know, the value prop on both fronts on the front end is, you know, taking care of the customer, one fixed fee, low rates, the efficiency of the process, utilizing technology to make things easier. The referral partner would be happy, right? So what happened was everybody's like, oh, real estate agents don't care about their customer getting the best rate. And I was like, wait a second, you might be right on 80% of the real estate agents that are doing 20% of the business, right? Right. It was like, or let's call it 70% of the real estate agents doing 30% of the business. However, they, you know, 80, 20, 70, 30 rule goes into play. But I'm like, that's true. But the 20% that are doing 80% or the 30% doing 70%, they care about their customer and they care deeply about making sure that the customer is not taken advantage of. Those are the ones I'm working with. And those are the ones I'm going after. So the entire platform and the entire company was built on that model as far as identifying the top 20%, top 30% of the agents that are doing 80 to 70% of the business and tell them the value proposition to the consumer, to the originator and how that benefits them. And it was crazy. It was literally fish like jumping in the boat. It was like, Agents were like, oh, my God, I'm so sick of this loan officer that I'm referring business to that's I know taking advantage of my customer and I'm not going to do it anymore. And I'd be like, great, just try us. And they'd be like, try us. And it was like smooth, simple customers like this is great. This is great. And then, of course, all the agent wants is to make sure that the top agent wants not only for you to get the deal done, but for you to make them look good right in the process. Right. So that was a huge, that was the kind of the cornerstone of guaranteed rate when we started. So I was digging through one of our data sources and noticed that 2023 guaranteed rate was the only top 10 lender with over 90% purchase. If that, if that data is right. So like, like a standout on like purchase business. So is it that, um, that agent like relationship that's like endured and like kept driving like purchase really high in your, in your product mix? Yeah. I mean, like we've always been purchase first, I, you know, and to go back to what you asked about with Cobble Banker, you know, and it's interesting, you know, because we talked about, I I got off track on the manifestation, right. And the law of attraction, right. With, uh, with when uh, the whole Cobble Banker thing. So when that went down, I was trying to figure out where to go with uh, getting into the mortgage business. I, Literally, once I locked in that I was starting guaranteed rate, I was putting the best value proposition together. I really understand uh, agents. At that point, I knew that someday I would end up working with Cobble Banker again. And I had this feeling that I would end up purchasing their mortgage company and partnering with them. Like it was like, you know, it's one of those things. It's like I always call it's like, like I always use this term, like Rubik's cube. Like when you click it, it's like all of a sudden, it's like boom, you get it right. And I feel yeah. like 
I really knew that was going to happen. And so, and I'm kind of, we're bouncing around, jumping ahead, but I'll just go into this. So in 2016, um, I get a phone call from, uh, I think my CFO. And he said, hey, are you interested in uh, being one of the companies that um, would be interested in purchasing purchasing uh, PHH Home Loans, which is Cobalt Bankers Partnership? And I was like, right, I, I'm not even kidding you. Right when I heard that, I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. Yeah, we're doing this. I manifested this. Like, yeah, I did, I knew at that point it was gonna it was a it was a foregone conclusion, and uh, it was funny because uh, we were invited in. So they narrowed it down to I don't know four mortgage companies or something like that. So it was a banker deal. There was an M and A banker advising, kind of running a, a mini process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they 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 had a bunch of them, and they narrowed it down to like three, or four, or five, whatever it was. <clears throat> I'm not even sure because I wasn't even uh, really um, – they didn't even communicate to the other companies. But um, so I went into uh, New Jersey and it was me and two other guys. And I'm sitting in this huge boardroom uh, with this massive conference table. And the CEO is flanked on both sides with like eight people or nine people on one side, eight people and nine people on the other side. And um, – and it was funny because I said to him, I said, you know what? I, I feel like this is um, destiny. As, uh, you know, I feel like this is, is, is meant to be that I'm here. And he's like, he was super confused. Everyone's like really confused. And I told him the story. And I said, I, I said, listen, I said, you guys actually pushed me out of my first mortgage company. And I started guaranteed rate with a significantly better value proposition to our customers than anyone else. And the one thing I am really clear on is understanding real estate agents and understanding what the agent wants and how they think, right? And we are here to serve you, serve the agent. Like that's our focus. That's what we're good at. That's what we're about. And I recommended him to contact his agents and ask them who the most trusted mortgage lender is. Like find out who they think is when they ref when when there's a deal that you're doing, who is like the most trusted company that that yep. it, it, that they feel like they could they could count on, and they came back um, and it was guaranteed rate, and so he said, um, and, and they chose us right. They chose us because the uh, it, it was trust because. The thing is that with PHH home home loans, they broke the trust. They were it was gone. They the loan officers were quitting uh, left and right, and um, they weren't getting any business. They treat it was it, they treated the 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 mortgage arm as um, as they weren't there. I mean, they literally mm -hmm. were like they weren't didn't exist. Um, I I didn't know how bad it was until we took it over. Honestly, I didn't have any clue. Um, and then when we took it over, uh, that's a funny story in itself. You want to hear that one? A good M&A integration story. How can I say no? <laughs> Let's hear it. Like, yeah. And I mean, like I'll preface, it always sucks when you like, you do a deal and there's something under the hood you didn't know, but when it's something that hopefully lets you create value, then like, let's hear the, let's hear. A little yeah. Yeah. So, 
you know, Bone Officers were quitting like, I don't know. I think when we started the deal, it was at like 470 loan officers by the time we, and it takes time from the time that you negotiated to the time you actually close on it. And then you do the integration and the integrations, you know, longer than you want, but, but, uh, so we closed in, I think it's, oh my gosh, the fact that I don't know this exactly, but, um, January of 2016 or 17. I, I think it's, it's, I mean, I have all my deals, close dates tattooed on me. So you, you got to remember that Victor. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I remember that. I'll remember the housing oh my gosh. forever. April 25th, 2016. That was a deal date. I'll never forget. But, um, yeah, I know. I should, I don't know why I, I you know, everything is like forward, forward, forward. Yeah. I'm always like, you know, what's next, what's next, you know, keep going. But yeah, I should. Um, but, um, but what happened was we did the final integration. Uh, everybody was on board by the end of uh, at the end of December, and there was a they had a president's club meeting scheduled, and this is like mid January. So I show up and getting to meet everybody, and uh, and the first thing I run into is uh, four uh, women that are the wives of some of the um, of some of my originators. And I was like, Hey, how's everyone doing? You know, it's nice to see everyone, you know, and they, you know, they're like, and I think at this point they're just kind of drinking by the pool all day and they were really transparent and open with me, which I really appreciate. And they said, uh, they said, yeah, no, it's terrible. Like no one's happy. No one likes it. You know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? Really? Like, why? And it gave me some feedback. So I grabbed the top originators. I brought them over and I was like, Hey, I just heard this. What's going on? And we said, Hey, we we're told not to tell you. And I was like, really? Why? And they're like, oh, I guess, you know, people are worried about their jobs and, you know, you just took it over and they don't know you and everything. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. So I got everybody in. I said, listen, I want to get everybody into a room tomorrow morning. So I got our, the hotel degree to get a ballroom and we got everybody in there. And we talked to them. We said, my team came in, you know, and we said, listen, we can't fix anything unless we know what's broken. So uh, I stood up in front of everybody and they gave, uh, had, my team was writing everything down. And for four and a half hours, it was just rapid fire of everything that's wrong. And I was like, I want to hear everything. I don't, you know, um, I, you know, to whatever it is, underwriting, closing, marketing, technology, you know, how, you know, anything works like your computers, your laptops, whatever. I don't, I want to hear everything. Four and a half hours of everything. And then I said, all right, now you all go have a good vacation. I'm going to get, we're going to, we're going to get to work. The team's going to get to work. So we sat in uh, the ballroom and broke out everything into categories, you know, underwriting. Here's all the complaints around underwriting. Let's put all those in a category. Here's all the complaints around closing. Let's, you know, so we broke it all out within really 60 days. We uh, fixed about 60% of everything that they had issues on. Um, within the next probably 60, we got through the other 20%. And then there was about 20% that we wouldn't do for a reason, but we were really transparent of what that reason is and kind of went through and talked to them. And I would say pretty much everybody from that day is still here because we forged this bond together, you know, of saying, 
all right, the old guard is gone. Here we just took it over. We built trust. We got on the same page. We knew, you know, they knew we had their backs um, and they had our backs. You know, we like we worked together as a team and it's been it's been unbelievable since. And now culturally, we're completely integrated with uh, Coldwell Banker. Uh, they're just a fantastic um, group of people. Um, the, the, the team there is great. The presidents are great. Everybody is really, really fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's worked out really, really well. So it went from, you know, this, you know, I say the plane, you know, on fire going down, ready to hit the, you know, tarmac and, uh, you know, we ended up (laughs) pulling it out, you know, so it was, it's, it's been great. That's a phenomenal story. And like, yeah, the, the, the cream of it, the cream on the, the top for me is like this emphasis of the intersection of mortgage and real estate. And like, that's a, a big part of my thesis and strategy at, at housing wire is bringing the, the real estate and mortgage sides of our like incredibly interconnected sector closer together. So with like through our real trends acquisition, we've been trying to bring the brokers and agents closer to housing wire. And we're, our big annual event in April, the gathering is meant to bring together originators and real estate brokers and team leaders under, under one roof to learn together, build relationships. And um, sometimes I feel like I'm running an uphill battle, like trying to like tell the mortgage people why this matters to be in this room, tell the real estate people, Hey, this is like, you know, these aren't LOs that are just going to be there like affronting you for business. They actually want to like bond and like figure out like a way to, to win together. Um, Honestly, it always feels like an uphill battle, but like, I feel like I know it's right. Like it is the way forward for the, the housing industry to like find that connectivity point and like invest in it. So Victor, back on like the, back to like the 99 days, you were talking about like the, the terrible like shell game of compensation. So we fought, we fast forward to where we are, you know, 25 years later and um, compensation has been, been cleaned up a lot. Like a lot of like that, uh, what was happening in 99 has been regulated away, but you know, we, the world has finds its way of finding new ways to do things. And we, um, you know, have, have a place now where we have like this, this potentially some like bucket issues and loan officer compensation. Um, I know it's an area that you've been pretty intensely focused on. So what's going on in compensation today? Like what are, what are the pros cons? Are we in a good place, bad place. I'd love to love to hear your perspectives. Yeah, it's a tough situation, honestly. And I understand that competitors are doing everything they can to compete and win, right? It's it's a pressured situation being a CEO or an owner of an independent mortgage company. It is a pressured situation. Um, it's very competitive. Um, you know, you're trying to hang on to your loan officers. Uh, you're trying to recruit loan officers. So you want to be able to leverage everything you can to put your loan officer in a position to win, right? And you want to make as much money for yourself as you possibly can too, right? And so it's kind of a crazy situation because, you know, we did have, you know, I don't know how many people have been around since 99 and dealing with the crazy wild, wild west, but that went on in a sense all the way up until the housing market crashed, right? And is it because the housing is, is that a reason why the housing market crashed? I don't think so. It is really two separate issues. And I know that uh, Congress came in and passed um, the law for uh, Dodd-Frank. 
Loan officer comp had nothing, nothing to do, in my opinion, of the market crash. It had everything to do with the fact that um, Wall Street was uh, allowing uh, customers to buy homes <laughs> and fog a mirror, right? I mean, it was like no income, right? No, stated income, right? You're stating your income, you're stating your assets, and it's 0% down. I mean, like, what? It's crazy, right? It was nuts. At the time, I was like, this is nuts. This is crazy. I used to say it was like a rubber band. And I'm like, the rubber band is just pulling and pulling and pulling. And before it snapped, I was like here with the rubber band. I think by the time it actually crashed, it was here. I was like, when this rubber band snaps back, it's going to be a colossal. Now, as bad as I thought it was going to be, it was nowhere near how bad it turned out to be. Like, honestly, it was so, um, it was such a massive backlash. But again, loan officer comp, and again, and what, here's the crazy thing is, and I know a lot of people on this call is not going to agree with me, but because I was so disgusted on loan officer comp, you know, one had nothing to do with the other. So when Dodd Frank came out and he said, we're going to, you know, we're going to get involved and we're going to start telling mortgage companies how they should compensate their loan officers. I was like, big brothers coming in. This is ridiculous. This is, you know, doesn't make any sense. There's a little bit of scapegoating. It was easier for Wall Street to like point a finger at the originator, but really the originator, the mortgage, the IMB was like working within the confines of the system that like. The, our government and Wall Street set up to work yeah, with I mean, like, but I mean, that's my point all, of view. All the mortgage <laughs> bankers are doing, the independent mortgage bankers, all we're doing, we're nobody. We're a salesperson. We're a salesperson for Wall Street. Wall Street's coming to us and saying, sell our product. It was the crazy product that was the problem, not the salesperson being the independent mortgage broker, Right. Um, now, how the independent mortgage broker was comp- being compensated and how they were playing games with customers with rate and fee had nothing to do with the housing collapse. It, it's not morally right. It's not it's not I'm not in agreement with people taking advantage of less educated consumers. Um, but it's not the reason that the whole housing market crashed. Right. One one had nothing to do with the other. Right. So when Dodd Frank came out and he said, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna um, create this new um, bureau, um, uh, and they're going to govern uh, what the law is," it was like, "Oh, geez, it was scary, right?" And of course, at the first uh, director we had Cordry and he was scary, you know, he was like, you know, cause I don't was any rhyme or reason for him, you know, hitting people with fines and how the fines were being hit. And, you know, he was looking for heads, you know, like it was like, there's no doubt, you know, it was that regulation through enforcement era that we all yeah, wrestled through a hundred percent. And that changed. And, uh, but everybody was still like, okay, you know, we are definitely fearful of the, um, the regulators, right? But what happened was with the CFPB is they have a mandate that says that they are uh, there to audit 20%, I think, of the general mortgage business nationally. 
So who gets audited? We were the very first audit um, in the Midwest, right? And they came in and they said, you know, um, Victor, you know why we're auditing you guys first? I'm like, first of all, I want to say I'm glad that you are because I'm glad that I would rather be the first one to really understand because I have zero interest in doing anything wrong. I would, if I'm doing something wrong, I would like to know, right? Because it's not because it's an intentional thing. It's because it's a mistake. And if you saw something that we're doing wrong, guide me, you know, and tell me. And, I, you know, so we work together. And they said the reason why they chose us is because um, the Federal Home Loan Bank, most of the people working uh, at the CFPB at the time when they first came in, came from the Federal Home Loan Bank. And the Federal Home Loan Bank employees weren't able to get loans through the people that they, the institutions that they work with. So they worked with guaranteed rate. And I didn't know that. And I was like, oh my God, that's great. And he said, you know, uh, a lot of people that we've worked with have had good experiences with you guys. So we wanted to start with you first. So I said, great. That's, that's wild. Um, yeah. So I was like, great, great. That was great. So we got through the first one and then, um, you know, and then it, it kept following up. And then next thing you know, like they're coming in all the time. And I was like, what's the deal? I'm like, well, we only have so much of a budget and we have to work with all the bigger originators because that helps us cover the ground, you know, on the uh, 20%. I was like, whatever, fine, you know, not a big deal. It's great. What, you know, at least we're always in communication. We're working with everybody. But the thing I started to realize is all of a sudden over the years, the 80 percenters that weren't being audited. And then all of a sudden um, I always feared the uh, each state. So each state that we had a license in, I feared them because some states were tougher than others. Um, and based on that state, you had to be on your, you know, your a game and doing everything right and following every rule. And then what happened was when the CFPB uh, uh, was formed, the states, I think, started to back off a little bit. And they all have – every state has budget, um, uh, you know, needs. And they say, okay, well, let's divert the budget here because you have all these auditors in the mortgage division within the state uh, area. We probably don't need them as much because the CFPB is there to be able to help out, you know, doing the job. And uh, so they go, yeah, it makes sense, you know, and then the CFPB goes, yeah, no, we got it. But what happened was that 80% of the mortgage, independent mortgage companies are not being audited now much, you know, if, if at all, uh, by either the CFPB and then the states or, you know, may, you know, do a, um, they, they just have so much bandwidth. They don't, they can't audit everybody. So what happens is now all of a sudden you start to have this um, uh, this feeling of like you don't have this pressure uh, on an independent uh, from an audit perspective and a regulatory perspective and an enforcement perspective, right? And then the CFPB came out and said, because the Mortgage Bankers Association went to them and said, hey, uh, what do you think about comp uh, in loan officer comp? allowing loan officers to be compensated differently if it came from a different lead source, you know? 
And I remember they, they asked me my opinion on it and I gave my opinion, you know, and, uh, you know, I said, slippery slope, you know, I said, if people are doing it right, yeah, it works. People aren't, it's a slippery slope, you know? And so, you know, they said, okay, well, we'll watch it. I think we're going to agree to it. You know, the NBA wanted it and then, and, and they were being cool. So they said, all right, let's, let's do it. We'll agree to it. And that's where the buckets occurred, right? That's when it all started to happen with the buckets. And then what happened was, I think a couple of people started going, okay, well, we're going to use this rule and we're going to be able to put this in place and let's put a branch bucket in there. Let's put a corporate bucket in there. Let's put this in there. And then they go, okay, maybe they did at first track the branch bucket. Maybe they tracked the corporate bucket. Maybe they tracked... Zillow's lead bucket. Maybe they tracked a different bucket. And then they realized, well, we haven't had anybody come in and audit us. Uh, so I think we might be okay really not being so particular on where this bucket is priced and where the lead came in through this bucket, right? And then the year late, another year goes by and they go, well, okay, well, no one's really coming to us. Or the CFPB goes in, does the audit, and they really are not looking at this, and they're not paying any attention to it at all. And the CFPB goes in there and goes, "Yeah, we did the audit, and everything was good." And then they leave. You know, not no. I mean, they're doing their job. No, you know, it's not their their fault. Um, but they just don't know. You know, and now it's come to where we're now 2024. It's been years of this, and now it's pretty much. I would I would say there's a significant number of companies that are working within these lead buckets and um, having a different bucket uh, and they're calling it different names and not tracking the lead. So it's giving the originator the ability to uh, price the loan where they want. Now, um, one of the comments that people would have is said, this is a victimless crime situation, right? Victor, all you're doing is giving people better rates, right? Okay. Who are you giving better rates to? Is it like 1999 again, where you're giving better rates to all the people that are more educated or are you giving better rates to people who are less educated? Are you giving better rates to the, to the single, uh, single women, uh, uh, older, uh, elderly, um, you know, different minority groups that maybe are not as familiar with the mortgage process. Who's getting the better rates here, right? Why is it that somebody gets the better rate and somebody doesn't get the better rate, right? Why is that, right? And, and isn't there a rule now put in place that says that shouldn't happen, right? So, you know, ultimately right now, it's just kind of living in like, are we all going to be on the same playing field, uh, playing the same game, um, treating customers all the same way? Or is it going to be different, right? And there's different rules for different folks because, you know, some people are able to get away with it because they're not being audited and being it's being caught you know i don't know it's it's a crazy it's a so crazy do the lower price lead right buckets just take 
Do lower price lead buckets just take commission out of the originator's pocket or the lower price lead buckets also like at the expense of corporate margin? The company itself, the owners of these companies, it's to their advantage because their margin's set. Like they're not, they're not taking a hit. The originator's taking the hit, right? So not and, and the originator is making a decision. I'm either going to win this or lose it. So it's zero or less. Yeah, and, and the originator is also putting their license at risk, right? Because mm-hmm. if they are truly pricing these borrowers into different buckets where they're not, and the lead isn't tracked properly, that it really is a lead from a branch. The branches, I mean, the branch would have to generate the lead, right? I mean, like, what are they doing from a marketing perspective to generate the lead? It would have to be tracked. And then that lead, then you'd have to price that loan. If that's the case, great, right? But if the borrower has a self-source lead and they talk to the one uh, customer and they say, all right, this person doesn't know that much about the mortgage business and they don't know. And they ask the general questions. Oh, Mr. Jones or Mrs. Jones. So where are you at in the mortgage process? Like, where are you at right now? Oh, I just started looking. Have you talked to anybody else? Yeah, I talked to the uh, talked to the guys from Guarantee Rate. Oh, okay. Who'd you talk to? I should talk to Sean Panosian. Oh, okay. I know where Sean's pricing. I'm going to price you in at this bucket, you know? Um, and then they go, okay. Well, now they say, oh, Mr. Jones, where you, have you talked to anybody? No, I haven't talked to anybody yet. Um, I, I, is it, I, I, you know, is this your first time home? Are yeah, I really don't know. Oh, I got you. I got to take great care of you. Don't worry about a thing. Here's what we, what we're going to do. Oh, okay. Where's interest rates? Okay. Yeah. And they price them out at their normal comp bucket, the highest rates, right? Cause they don't know any different. They don't know any better. So they didn't know to price them lower, but at all at the same time, wherever they're pricing, is the loan officer themselves is taking a hit. They're dropping down a cu- the, the like the least educated c- customers are getting the highest rates. The more educated customers are getting the lower rates, but the loan officer is taking a hit. And all along, the owner of the company doesn't um, reduce their margin. Their margin stays exactly the same. They're happy because they're just getting more deals. And it just doesn't, you know, to them, it's just like another deal, another deal, another deal. I make my certain margin. I make when I say margin, so people to know, I make my certain level of compensation on every loan the same. I'm not taking the hit as a, uh, the owner of the company. So, well, you called it a slippery slope, yeah. and it said like maybe like the originator's license is at risk, but like unless I've missed it, I don't think like the Housing Wire newsroom has covered an enforcement on this yet. So, like if the if the C- CFPB doesn't care. Like, is the originator actually at risk or is that just we're at a different we're not quite at the bottom of the slippery slope yet? Yeah, I think the CFPB does care. And I think that I don't know this for sure. I think they care. I think they are doing their jobs. I think they're investigating this situation. I mean, I don't know this for a fact. I th- I think that they are. Um and I think they were made aware of this, I think, not long ago. And I mean, not long ago, maybe a little over a year ago is, you know, I mean, how are they to know that there's this uh, scheme is probably a pretty aggressive word. 
Um, but maybe practice. Call it a practice. Practice. Practice yeah. is a better word. Thank you. Um, that there's this practice that um, would not be compliant. Yeah. Right. And so I think that they are being brought up to speed right now and trying to really get their arms around it and starting to look into uh, this whole situation. So, so yeah, no, I think it's, I, I think the original, if I was an originator and this is interesting because I talked to the mortgage bankers association about this. Um, nine months ago now, something like that. And they were, and, and I, I brought it to their attention and they said, wait, come on. And then it's like, yeah, no, this is really going on. And then they, I said, just check it out. And they got back to me and they're like, wow, you're right. We have done our, you know, own research and we found out that this is um, a practice that's heavily in play. And um, yeah, this is, this is not good for our industry. And I was like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, this is like, I, I was like, I don't know that I care about anybody getting in trouble. I really don't. I go, I just think it's like, it just needs to stop, you know, right? I mean, it's not about somebody getting in trouble. It's just about, let's just level the playing field here. And like, do we really want people playing games with customers like this? I I, I think we kind of got it. We, we, it was bad then. Do we really want it still? I, I kind of think we we don't. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, and they were great. They're like, I agree. So they had an attorney that uh, was part of writing uh, the original law and he looked into this whole thing and he wrote it and they published it and they sent it out. And the thing is the attorney in the letter from the NBA specifically states that the individual originator, if um, the CFP wanted to, could be the CFPB could revoke their license, could suspend their license the other thing is really interesting is consumers, if they found out that they got the higher rate and somebody didn't, they could go in and actually sue the individual originator personally and get triple damages. I think it's called, I could be wrong on this trouble. Damage. Yeah, it's like treble damage. Yeah. Like what like we're seeing with the National Association of Realtors lawsuit, or the commission's lawsuit like right now. Well, that's the last thing our industry needs is another – public disgrace or public like yeah whatever the hell you exactly. want to call it no it's like it's just it's not good for the originator it's not and again i get the originator while they're doing it they're like well i could beat this loan officer's price i could do this i could do that well yeah i i get it but it's wrong it's like i don't know what to say but you know you can and your company's allowing it but it's it's not right you know but if we were going back, like you talked about the Cordray era, like we were to go back to that era, we'd expect some like sweeping, like regulation through enforcement, like announcement of a big fine and a big penalty. But like in the era we're in now, like does this CFPB operate more with like a a warning letter, and then like if you don't comply, then it gets uh then it gets hairy, or like what what would you what is how does this CFPB like act differently than the ones you've seen in the past? You know, I mean. I think they're very th smart and I think they're very thoughtful. Uh, and I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't, honestly, I'm not sure. I, uh, you know, I, I think we got to give them time, yeah, you know, honestly, I, 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 I think it's, uh, it's one of those things that it's, you just, 
um, yeah, I, I think they're, everybody I've met is very bright and they're very smart and they, I think they really care about the customer. Uh, they care about the consumer and, uh, and, and protecting the consumer. Um, and they're made aware of this not long ago. And I, I think, I think, you know, you give them time and it's going to be, we'll see, see what, see what happens. Victor, phenomenal conversation. I told you up front, I just seen half an hour of your time, but here we are an hour and 15 minutes in. I enjoyed it. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Really a pleasure. Yeah, no, uh, appreciate you and, and the work you guys do. Uh, it's great. That's a wrap, folks. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Powerhouse Podcast. 